Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Friday, January 11th, and we have got the national championship recap for you today. Tim, how are you uh, hanging in over there? Um, hanging in is the best possible description. You know, I'm fighting strep throat and a sinus infection, but, you know, as we've said in previous shows, podcasters are warriors. So I'm going to do this show with a, a cough drop firmly planted in between my cheek and gum, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, you know, that's great to hear. I'm glad you're uh, you're fighting through, battling through injury. Um, you know, funny story for me, actually, earlier this week, or kind of depressing, depending on how you look at it. Uh, I was, you know, getting my daughter ready to uh, head out to daycare for the day, and uh, wife was out of town, so... I had to figure out how to get her hair in a, uh, I don't know, hair tie. I'll call it a hair tie. It's not really quite a ponytail. Right. So 15, 20 minutes into that process, I soon realized that was probably the best workout I've had this entire year. (laughs) It's a mess, man. It's a mess. you got to hog tie them. And then you have to figure out the hair situation, which... Uh, Kristen is normally the stylist in our house, and that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing, getting those fine baby hairs to line up right. Yeah, they're super fine. They're super, uh, you know, just slick. They're hard to grab. But, (laughs) you know, I I kind of expected to struggle with that. I didn't expect to be winded 20 minutes in. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So uh, now that, you know, clearly – I'm in great athletic condition. Let's move on to (laughs) one of the best sporting spectacles we have of every year, the College Football National Championship. And, you know, let's just dive straight into the game recap. You know, it was a bright, sunny day in Santa Clara. But, uh, Tim, to be honest, the sun quickly faded, leaving Alabama left in the dark. After a quick three and out by Clemson, it was Alabama's turn to strike first in the Golden State. Yeah, but Clemson's A.J. Terrell had other plans. Jumping the route and taking Tua's pass to the end zone for six to put Clemson up 7-0 to zero, less than two minutes into the game. But, but Bama fought back. On the third play of the drive, Tua drops a bomb into the hands of Jerry Judy for 62 yards just like that. You hit the over on the play of 62 yards or more. The game is tied at seven. And then six, fast forward 60 seconds and Trevor Lawrence matches the 62-yard strike with a strike to T. Higgins down the field that sets up a 17-yard TD run by Travis Etienne to the end zone, and Clemson goes up 14-7. But the track meet continued. Tua Tagovailoa led a methodical drive, 10 plays, 75 yards, that resulted in a one-yard touchdown pass. But kicker Joseph Balavas pulls a Cody Parkey, hits the upright, missing the extra point, knocking the kicker out of Saban's circle of trust for the rest of time. Long with other kickers off to the island of misfit kickers to him and Clemson then went one, two, three and out in the following the Bama TD, allowing Bama to take the lead early in the second quarter with a 25-yard field goal from said misfit kicker. After an unbelievable pace in the first 16 minutes of play, there would be 30 more points scored the rest of the way. Yeah, there would be 30 more points, but by who? Lawrence and company responds on a six-play, 65-yard drive, their first of the second quarter. That ends with an ETN prancing into the end zone for a one-yard score. The Tigers are up 21-16. The very next drive, Bama's faced with a fourth and one of their own 34, and instead of punting, Saban goes all-in with a Josh Jacobs run up the middle for three yards and a first down. 
<laughs> nice play with the all-in. I'm seeing what you're doing there. But fast forward another three plays later, and Tua throws pick number two to Trayvon Mullen, who returned at 46 yards to the Bama 47. And eight plays later, Etienne finds the end zone again with a five-yard touchdown, and all of a sudden Clemson's up 28-16. But the route had just begun. After an Alabama drive stalls after five plays and only nine yards, they punt it away and Clemson capitalizes just before the end of the half with a 36-yard field goal from Greg Hugel to put Clemson up 31-6 to leave a nation stunned at what they were witnessing and wondering if Bama could respond. But Tim, I gotta tell you, not as stunned as they were when they saw Lil Wayne coming out looking like E.T. in a wig at the halftime show. I can only imagine what kind of dragons he had been smoking, but the show on Treasure Island was the last bit of entertainment Bama fans would see all night. After receiving the opening half kickoff, Tua led the Crimson Tide to the Clemson 22 where the drive stalled. On fourth down, we all witnessed the worst fake field goal attempt in modern history with Mac Jones taking a direct snap for a two-yard loss, leaving a nation stunned that a timeout wasn't called. But more stunned, Nick Saban didn't kick special teams coach Jeff Banks off the sideline immediately following the play. To add salt to the wound, three plays later, Trevor Sunshine Lawrence hits Justin Ross a 74-yard blown coverage to the house and Clemson was officially on cruise control. The following drive, another Bama possession stalls in the red zone. A Clemson defensive line that was losing the battle early on flipped the tide with another dominant stop deep in their own territory. To finish wrapping this trophy in gold, Clemson drives down the field 12 plays, 89 yards, wrapping up the drive with another Lawrence touchdown pass to T. Higgins after two catches from Justin Ross that left you wondering how any team is going to stop this dangerous duo for the next two years. Clemson 44, Alabama 16. Dabo Swinney's Tigers get national championship number two in three years, avenging last year's loss to Alabama and handing Nick Saban the worst loss in his tenure as Alabama head coach since he was the head coach at LSU. And there you have it. That is the recap of the national championship. Tim, I don't know really where to start other than with a big old wow from the Clemson yeah. team. Yeah, it props to them. What a performance they put on. Um, you know, it was, it was a cool game at first. You thought, hey, this is going to be back and forth uh, until, you know, one team scores last. And then 20 minutes, you know, into the game, into the second quarter, it started to feel like it was Alabama's game to lose. Uh, Clemson couldn't get pressure on Tua and, uh, Clemson seemingly was a little discombobulated on offense, and then you know here we are staring at a forty-four to sixteen final score. Yeah, you know I gotta say I'm happy for Clemson, uh, happy for Dabo, the ACC, and uh, you know one thing I'm not happy about is the talk around this game as to how bad Alabama played. Alabama didn't play as bad as Clemson played good, okay? Right. Clemson came into that game, and they not only beat Alabama on the field, they beat them on the sideline. Alabama mm-hmm. was straight up out-coached. No doubt about it in this one. Dabo got the best of Nick. It wasn't even close. Some of the play calls that you saw from the Alabama team really made you feel like they were desperate. And with the kicker in his trouble, you know, Alabama had missed the most extra points all year. Okay, they led the FBS and missed extra points. So very similar to the Chicago Bears situation, they knew that the kicker was probably their weakest asset. And if the game was going to come down to kicking, which it didn't, but if it was, they knew it was going to be a liability. So 
that one missed extra point, I think, really kind of changed the way they approached the game when they got into the red zone. And after that, I mean, Alabama got into the red zone maybe three or four times. Clemson stopped them every single time. Yeah. And, I mean, sometimes we're talking right inside the five or maybe, you know, it was a few yards back. But Alabama went for it every time, including that horrendous fake field goal, and they just uh, they just couldn't execute. Yeah, you shocking fake field goal. I mean, there are a couple things wrong with that fake field goal that I want to touch on just because it's so surprising. But any play in which you draw up your kicker being your lead blocker, the chances of success are very, or, you know, very, very slim. That's one side of the coat token. The other side of the token is Clemson lined up in a safe field goal coverage. They were not going all out to block that kick, nor would they given the scenario. The only way that play call works is if you've maybe got two yards to go and Clemson is sending everybody. That way you can just punch it right up the middle. Why they they I, I can't put my head around whose idea that was, and if it was Nick Saban's, he should be very ashamed of himself. You know, I uh, I just I've never seen a a worse executed play on such a big stage. I mean, it was so yeah. poorly executed. Clemson knew it was a fake before they even set before the line was even set. Like Clemson <laughs> right. knew exactly what was happening. And yeah. everybody knew what was happening. Everybody's like, I guess Alabama's going to call a timeout here. And it's like, no, no, they stopped the ball. And he's up the middle. And it's like, what just happened? Right. He just lost two yards on fourth down. I mean, I, yeah. I couldn't believe I saw that from the Bama sideline. Based <laughs> off of Saban's reaction, where I don't even really know how to describe it. Because the special teams coordinator, I don't know if he was just you know, terrified as to what was going to happen to him, but he was very animated on the sideline. I don't know if he was trying to plead his case and Saban just wouldn't look at him, but it was kind of a weird reaction from the sideline. So like you said, I'm not sure whose call it was, but the fact that Saban just didn't like send him into timeout into the locker room for the rest of the game kind of, kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would love to know the story. Maybe on an ESPN 30 for 30, we'll get that in 20 years. We'll have Saban sitting down and reliving that horrible play call, um, which really should go down, would go down as one of the worst calls all year, easily all year uh, in college football. So surprising to see that in the national championship. Um, but, you know, there were there were other problems, obviously, for Alabama. We're really harping on that. Uh, to us, turnovers, namely, that, that was really the game for them. Their inability to stop Clemson and the fact that when they were making plays, and Tua was making plays, Tua was not stifled completely, um, that he just threw a couple picks that really, really broke their back. Yeah, you know, like like I said in the preview, what I really couldn't get behind with Alabama was how bad Tua played in the SEC championship. And he didn't he didn't play terrible in this game, but he was rattled. And mm -hmm. after the first, I'd say maybe 20 minutes of, of game time, the, uh, the Alabama offensive line stopped winning the battle because for that first 20 minutes, they pretty much dominated that Clemson defensive oh, yeah. line. And, you know, that, that to me was the biggest storyline of the game up until that point. And the Clemson offense, you know, they, they had a few big plays. They were moving the ball. Uh, they were starting to get in a rhythm. 
um, but they were still having a three and out here and there. So you saw some some opportunity for Alabama, but one thing Clemson did and Alabama didn't do was protect the football. This was the first game since 2011 against Georgia Southern where Alabama didn't have an interception or a turnover, I should say, a turnover or a sack in the entire game. 101 wow. games. Wow. So that just shows you how good Clemson played on really both sides of the ball because, like we were saying, Tua looked rattled. He was dancing in the pocket. He kept mm-hmm. backpedaling. He never set his feet. He never looked comfortable. He did make some big plays, but he made some really poor plays as well. So you, you see, you come into the game and, and you see Tua not completely rattled, but you can definitely see that the the pressure the defensive line is putting on him is affecting him and affecting his throws. And you contrast that with Trevor Lawrence, who it really is his first big game as a Clemson Tiger. Um, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot of big tests during the regular season, and the ACC championship game was a bit of a layup. But he comes into this game and just looks like he's played in four national championships prior to this. I mean, I have never seen a freshman quarterback look so composed on a big stage. Nothing made him uncomfortable. He was super accurate with his passing. Um, you know, threw for about 350 yards and just looked incredible. Got all the big chunk plays that Clemson seems to thrive on and really just led that team to what was an amazing offensive performance against a great Alabama defense. So here's here's what Trevor Lawrence reminds me of. Trevor Lawrence is the created player in your NCAA EA Sports <laughs> dynasty. That's right. that's what Trevor Lawrence is because right. I can't recall a true freshman quarterback like him. Like there there've been good ones, don't get me wrong. There've been dynamic players, but this guy looks like Peyton Manning out there. Yeah. Just the composure that he has on the field. Even going back to the Cotton Bowl, even going back to the ACC Championship, you know, I was all for Trevor Lawrence playing over Kelly Bryant in the beginning of the season. Even when he wasn't playing that well, I thought he would eventually get the hang of it and be a better quarterback than Bryant. There was no doubt in my mind there. I was a little bit doubtful of, you know, how much he was going to progress because, I mean, hey, he's a true freshman those guys always seem to hit a wall at, at some point. He's just gotten better and better and better, and the moment just continues to get bigger, and it's never too big for him. He is super even-keeled. He's got command of the offense. He puts the balls a lot of times where only his receivers can go and get them. And right. it helps when you've got guys like T. Higgins and Justin Ross who – I mean, those two guys, the games that they had. I mean, some of the catches that Higgins made, like even that last touchdown catch he had in the end zone where he just went up and got it. I mean, first off, that ball might have been thrown a little high, but still very catchable ball, only where the receiver could get it. And then on that same drive, the two catches Justin Ross had on the sideline. It was just like, is, is that Randy Moss? Or yeah. who is that guy? And that guy's a true yeah. freshman. The last time we so saw it's... catches like that in the ACC, it was Calvin Johnson making them for Georgia Tech. And they were always terribly thrown balls you know, by Reggie Ball um, yeah. that led to those incredible catches. But that was the last time in the ACC that we've seen catches like that. And 
That was incredible. That sideline catch was incredible. Just bar not amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, just it, it felt like to me, and I'm sure you kind of felt the same way, it just felt like Clemson had the better athletes on the field. Yeah. Uh, they, they had the better game plan. They executed better. One thing to realize, and I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize this, over the last four seasons, Alabama and Clemson have the exact same amount of wins. They have two national titles each. And Clemson has four conference championships, which is superior to Alabama, who I think has three uh, conference championships. So these two programs now are basically option A and option A. They are the class acts of college football. And there was a lot of people kind of talking about Saban after this game. And, you know, is he lacking? No, he's not. You know, he just... He, they they got out executed for once. I mean, Alabama right. just they they got out executed. And I think one thing that we're starting to see here a little bit, and I'm not saying that Saban needs more time to prep for a game, but in the past model before we got into the college football playoff, Saban was getting over a month to prepare for a team. Right. So when he goes into a national championship game and you're going to be playing against him with 38 days to watch tape and to prep his team, you pretty much had next to no chance. I mean, the guy, the guy is the master at game prep at execution. Now you give him a week. It's a different story. So what we saw last year, you know, you had two very good defenses. Alabama had the top rated defense in the country. You know, you've got, maybe three weeks to prepare for the game. You know, they pretty much shut Clemson down offensively. And Clemson did the same to Alabama, but Alabama made more plays on defense. This year, Clemson pretty much shut down the Alabama offense after the first quarter and a half. And if you look at the box score, the numbers are very even. The time of possession Alabama dominated, and it actually looks closer than it was. Clemson held the ball for the last seven minutes of the game. They Jeez. went 99 yards, basically, just driving up the field, right. and then they sat sat on it at the end. And they still had four minutes less than Alabama from time of possession. That's how yeah. badly they dominated Alabama offensively. They Damn. hit all the big plays. They were methodical. They scored points off turnovers. Alabama did none of that. Right, right, and in the beginning for Alabama, they really had that running game going. I thought pretty well in the you know I thought that was going to help swing the game in their favor, because running against Clemson was always going to be tough with the interior of that defensive line, and they've been stingy all year. But then you had you know Harris and Harris uh, come out and you know the law firm Harris and Harris come out and, and do great, popping off you know one six yards of carry and one five yards of carry. Um, and really looked like every time they touched it, they were going for, you know, six to seven, and up and down the field they went there in the beginning. I thought they could have leaned on the run game a little more. Um, You know, obviously Tua should have been able to handle the load from the quarterback spot, but when you look at and try to find those differences, really the interceptions Tua threw uh, were the game. The only way they were beating Clemson on that day would have been to 
completely just run up the score and, and match and answer one big play to another big play. That was the only way they were going to win because Clemson was just unstoppable on offense after the first, let's call it, five drives. Yeah, what I thought was uh, kind of funny was this game started like the previous two national championships between these two teams ended with right. fireworks in the fourth quarter. That's how the game started. So you're watching this game, you're like, oh my god, like this 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 score, it's going to be like 65 to 64 final type <laughs> right. of deal. And then, you know, Clemson kept their foot on the gas. And that, that's the other thing I wanted to point out. Dabo showed no mercy whatsoever. And you got to love it because if you ever show that you're not playing to win as if the game is tied against Alabama, they always right. seem to sneak back up on you and beat you. Just ask Georgia the last two years. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the players that showed out were the ones that we expected. Um, guys like Hunter Renfro were pretty quiet. He only had two catches, which came back-to-back on the same drive. Right. Um, My man. But he wasn't really needed. I mean, the, the running game for, for Clemson was good. They didn't really rely on it too much. And I think that just goes back to how good Trevor Lawrence played. Um, right. Like you said, 20-32, 347, three touchdowns. Tua had 295, two touchdowns, two picks. But, yeah, it was uh, it was a game that I think a lot of people are going to remember for a long time. And I think in a couple of years we might look back on this and say that's when Clemson became the lead dog in college football. Yeah, it, it does seem like a passing of the torch moment. Um, you know, and defensively, Clemson played so well, too. I think Cleveland Farrell had a great game. Um, Isaiah Simmons, too, their nickelback, who's just rangy as heck. And I, he led the team in tackles, but he had nine tackles, again, in the national championship game. And it felt like he was all over the place. Um, really just a great game from everybody involved in that defense to hold what is a dynamic offense from Alabama down for the you know the second half of the game, especially. Um just really, you see the defense really coming into its own with Clemson. The offense is matching it, um, and the recruiting is there to sustain it for, you know, heck, we have to deal with now Trevor Lawrence and the ACC for two more years. Um, that's going to be incredibly painful for everyone else in the league because I can't imagine what he's going to be as a junior and a sophomore. The guy's ready for the NFL right now as far as I'm concerned. Um what I don't agree with is, you know, I'm seeing a lot of these stupid hot takes from people saying, oh, the Alabama dynasty has come to an end, and, you know, Nick Saban's lost. How? Every year, anytime they lose a big game, it's the same rehash nonsense from these people. Alabama's not going anywhere. The level that Alabama recruits at and the amount of talent they have on that coaching staff and on that roster, they're not going anywhere. Um, what will be interesting to see is we have Clemson and Alabama now. Um, that are firmly planted at the top of the pecking order in college football. Um, there are teams in that next echelon, you know, the Georgias, uh, Texas, if it can ever figure its situation out. Um, Notre Dame's always kind of nipping around. When are when are we going to see maybe a one, two, and a third program pop up? I, I think it's inevitable that we'll see that happen. Yeah, some somebody else has to has to rear their head. You know, I think Ohio State is in a position next year to. Sure to come back into the national spotlight. Um, it sounds like Justin Fields somehow found a loophole 
I don't know if you followed this at all, and I'm not sure what that loophole is off the top of my head, but it sounds like he might be able to play next year. Justin Fields was the top overall recruit in uh, last year's recruiting class that went to Georgia, and he transferred to Ohio State for those that aren't aware of who that is or what's going on there. So typically when guys transfer, they have to sit out a year. It sounds like that might not happen for Justin Fields. So uh, that makes Ohio State very interesting to me. Um, right. I think with Clemson and Alabama, like these two teams are going to lose a lot of talent. Um, it's possible Clemson might lose seven starters on the defense to the NFL draft. We've already seen Dexter Lawrence, who didn't even play in the playoff because he was suspended. Uh, linebacker Trey Lamar and then defensive back Trayvon Mullen uh, go pro um, or announce right. they're going pro. Um, I haven't seen too many announced so far for Alabama, um, but you know, just like any year, it's it's going to be an exodus of your best players. But you know, these two teams recruit well. Um, they have a lot of depth. It's basically just the next guy up waiting, and so until. There's another program or programs that can step up and make noise. You know, we'll see what happens. But you've got to expect Clemson and Alabama are going to be in their conference championships or very close to it, Um, and at least in the conversation for the playoff next year. But, uh, you know, I wanted to hit on something. I don't know if you saw this. So Keenan Williams, who is the uh, star defensive lineman for Alabama, He said after the game that, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence played uh, okay, but he was basically just throwing 50-50 balls. And uh, his receivers were the ones that went up to make plays. You got to give all the respect to the receivers. So basically saying, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence didn't really impress him, which, you know, I'm not sure how Keenan Williams was uh, aware of that so much unless he was – just not paying attention to whatever was going on on uh, in in the field. But my perspective from the game is Keenan Williams spent a lot of time on his back. So yeah. I don't know how he was watching every throw from Trevor Lawrence down the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was he, just he botched that, that badly. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was dropping dimes. We all know that. Yeah, which Williams specifically pointed out that it's not like he was dropping dimes. So. Oh, well, I did not know that. There you go. Yeah. So I'm not <laughs> sure what uh, what game Keenan Williams was at, but maybe once he watches the game tape, if he ever does, he'll, uh, he'll have a different perception. Yeah. But, uh, you know, talking about these two teams going forward, I went back and just took a little look at recruiting on Clemson's behalf, and I scanned Alabama. How many times do you think in these recruiting rankings, I should say, are from 247. Uh, Dabo Sweeney took over as interim head coach in 2008. So his first recruiting class was that offseason, so the 2009 recruiting class. Right. How, how many times do you think Clemson has been in the top five of recruiting? Oh, geez. I would wager... Give me six. How would a goose egg sound? That's insane to me, but I will believe you. So basically in uh, that 2009 class, which is Dabo's first class, uh, they finished 36th. 
Wow. Then they're 27th the year after that. And I think that's the year that they went six and seven. So the one, the third year, the third full year uh, was Dabo's worst record there at Clemson. Then he reels off the 10th class, the 20th, the 15th, 16th, 9th, 11th, 16th, 7th, and 6th. So basically top 20 for the most part, top 15 a lot of the time. Um, Four top 10s in there, but no top 5s. Doing a quick glance, I didn't uh, track all of Alabama's. They're basically in the top 5 every year, a few years. Like a bad year for them was like 7th. So. That, to me, was a little bit surprising, but I think it goes to what Dabo said after the game. He said, leave it to little old Clemson to be the first team in NCAA history to go 15-0. and And right. I think it just shows you that where these two programs are at and how different they are, but how similar they can be. I mean, Clemson is a national brand now. Sure. Uh, Alabama pretty much always has been, but... The way that these two teams run are completely different. So Clemson really thrives on having the same coaches and the same coaching staff and that consistency from that standpoint intact. Right. Like look at right. uh, Brent Venable, the defensive coordinator. He doesn't so want to go anywhere. Alabama consistently has turnover. And right. that's one it's of two reasons. Door. One reason is People want coaches that have coached under Saban. I don't think that needs to be um, ruled out. The other reason is Nick Saban, probably pretty difficult to work for. (laughs) Probably. So you've got this revolving door there. Last year they had six assistants leave. This year they've had three leave so far. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects the team in the next few years and how that consistency really helps Clemson thrive at a time where you know they're the top dog in college football so I don't know what your uh, viewpoint is on that yeah I think that's a great point to bring up and Alabama's coaching staff seems to be different each year um in in Dabo's I mean Brent Venables Venables has been there eight years it feels like maybe it's even longer than that um and he's been fantastic and that defense under his leadership has been so consistently good since he's been there um, maybe that sort of consistency leads to the performance you're seeing in these national championship games from Clemson. Um, you know, their offensive, offensive identity since Chad Morris had been there has kind of remained very similar um, in the way that they play sort of with the spread that they use uh, and Venable's defense and that consistency there. I mean, that, that would not surprise me if that ended up being the difference in the game um, from a preparedness standpoint. Consistency is huge in college football. And as you mentioned, for whatever reason, Alabama is just their coaches get nabbed every offseason. And if you boil it down, it wouldn't surprise me if Nick Saban, he sure seems like a guy that would be hard to work for. Um, And Debo strikes me as a guy who'd be the complete opposite. Uh, Former wide receivers coach, um, wasn't a head coach uh, anywhere huge if he was a head coach at all before Clemson. Um, Seems like the kind of guy who would let his assistants kind of run the show. Um, and, and Saban, maybe not so much. So interesting take there. And, uh, you know, I think that consistency has a lot to do with why Clemson is where they are right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying the way Saban chooses to run his program is wrong because 
clearly it works. Oh, sure. But he is more of the, like, he, the analogy is they're the Patriots of college football. I mean, the, the easiest analogy you could possibly make. Because Bill Belichick has a sem- similar reputation. Um, you know, I was listening to an interview with Chris Sims, the former uh, Texas quarterback, played in the NFL for a little bit. He uh, thought he wanted to get into coaching. And after he retired, he was a uh, quality control guy for the Patriots. So what does quality control mean? He basically, his job was to watch every single game tape of the team that they were playing uh, leading up to those games like a week out. So he said basically his job was to watch film all day, 18 hours a day write down every single play, call on the line, you know, whatever it is that he was seeing. He said he did that for two years and, you know, forgot what his kids looked like, basically, because that's all he did. He did that, like, during the regular season, during the off season. And I think Saban and Belichick are really from that same mold. Clemson, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me here, Clemson reminds me a lot of the Beamer era in Virginia Tech, except they win national championships. They win big games. Because if you look at what they do from a coaching perspective, they keep everybody intact. Uh, They've built a model. It seems to work. Uh, You know, I'm not going to say that they don't do well on the recruiting trail, but they're not pulling in the top three class every single year. They're coaching these kids up. They're finding kids that fit their system. When you see Clemson guys go to the NFL, you're not seeing them get arrested for, you know, issues off the field. I'm not going to elaborate on what some of those may be that we've seen from Alabama players. But it seems like they're looking for a particular player, may not always be the highest recruited guy. They obviously have more options now that they've won two titles in four years or three years, really. But um, they do remind me of Virginia Tech a little bit just because they're in Clemson, South Carolina, smaller town. Um, got to make a name for yourself, but unlike Virginia Tech, they've been able to win the big games consistently. They've been able to win national titles. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. This is the only head coaching job Dabo's ever had. I kind of get the sense it'll be the only one that he ever has, um, unless he decides to. I mean, he can name his job basically. If he wanted to go to the NFL, he probably could. I don't think he will, but yeah doesn't strike me as an NFL guy. Um, you know, the only place I could see him maybe jumping ship for would be his alma mater in Alabama. But with the dynasty, he's starting to build right now in Clemson. And they're not there yet, but they're close. Um, yeah, I just couldn't see him, him going anywhere. And that, that's a pretty good comparison between Clemson and Virginia Tech. Clemson is doing a lot of what Virginia Tech did under Frank Beamer, uh, just with better talent right now. And it's, uh, right. you know, that level of consistency, you know, uh, Venables is analogous to Foster and all of that, you know, the program. And, and as you mentioned, the small communities, it, it's kind of neat to see. Yeah. So uh, a great ending to the season for Clemson, the ACC, uh, especially with the win over, over the SEC, you know, that's always fun. Got a, I was chanting ACC in my living room. Go ACC uh, baby. I was, I was going at it, but uh <laughs> Yeah, a couple of other things have been going on around college football, even the NFL a little bit. So I would like to say Chowder and Grits was first to 
I won't say report because we didn't really report it. We just said this was going to happen. Cliff Kingsbury is now yeah. the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Just like that. Just like that. You know, he's got everything you need to be an NFL head coach nowadays, though. He he has a nice haircut. He's young. Um, and he runs a very pass-happy offense. you got those three things. You're basically a shoe-in now in the NFL. Well, I think you forgot the most important. He is friends with Sean McVay. <laughs> That's huge now. That's huge. That, that was so, line number one on the resume. There was actually a story that was reported in one of the Arizona newspapers from a coach. or ac- No, actually, you know what? This was on the uh, Arizona Cardinals website where it said uh, Cliff has a very good relationship with Sean McVay and their friends. That, that was actually in the story about why they went with him. And nothing against Cliff Kingsbury. I think he is a good offensive coach. I think he might be in over his head a little bit. Uh, we'll see. I don't want to speculate on that so much. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, though, um, he is a big fan of Kyler Murray. He, Kingsbury was formerly the offensive coordinator at Houston, uh, then at Texas A&M. Uh, so he was there when Johnny Manziel was there, and he's the guy who was responsible for bringing Kyler Murray to A&M. Right. And, uh, He's, he's known him since he was a sophomore in high school. He was quoted earlier this year, or earlier this season, I should say, when he was still at Texas Tech saying that Kyler Murray is the most impressive quarterback he's ever seen. If he had the first pick in the draft, he'd take Kyler Murray. Well, guess what, Tim? Cliff's got the first <laughs> pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's time to put your money where your mouth is, Cliff. Um And it sounds like some other people want to as well, because it sounds like Kyler's leaning towards the NFL. Uh, There's been a lot of chatter around that this week, and this is all speculation, but it hasn't been ruled out that the Cardinals may trade Josh Rosen away in order to take Murray first overall. You know, I got to tell you, if if he was to make his way to Phoenix – I would be very, very excited to see how that experiment would work. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's offense with a dynamic generational player like Kyler Murray in the NFL, man, I tell you what, that'd be a – you'd make a priority to watch those games, I feel like. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the interesting thing to watch is really, you know, what are Kyler Murray's measurables at the combine? How big is he? How tall is he? What does he weigh? Because um, that's the concern with him. It's not about right. his playing ability. It's about his size and his stature. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I think it's way too early to be trying to figure out where guys are going to go in the draft. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like Kyler's leaning towards the NFL over baseball. So um, that'll be fun to watch. We mentioned earlier that Justin Fields is headed to o- o- uh, Ohio State. So right. he may or may not be able to play right away. So that's another storyline. And then uh, our friends at Alabama, Jalen Hurts, has entered the transfer transfer portal. And uh, the portal. there's a there's a couple of ACC schools, Tim, that I think he could land at. One being FSU, but I think that's less likely. I think there's a pretty good shot. He goes to Miami. Yep, I was just thinking that. I mean, if you're if you're Jalen Hurts, there's a lot of worse places you can go in a team that could use a quarterback stat. 
is Miami, and they would be a team with a defense that would be poised to uh, – I mean, they would take the driver's seat in the Coastal immediately with a quarterback like Jalen. So here's the one thing I would caution, because I, I think we're all forgetting what type of quarterback Jalen Hurts was when he was at Alabama. Right. He was a game manager. Okay, He was a guy who could manage a game. He's not going to turn the ball over. He can make some plays with his legs. But he proved, and this would be concerning to me, especially if I'm a team like Miami, he proved that... <sighs> Got to be careful here because he's, he proved in the SEC Championship he could lead his team to victory. Most of the time... He needed a lot of help in order to, to win. If he had to go out and win the game for the team, he was less able to do that. And right. being at Alabama, surrounded by gobs and gobs of talent, the fact that he still struggled with that would be kind of a red flag to me. So I just I want to caution teams here. I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't think he's going to be Russell Wilson at Wisconsin. No, and I don't think he'll be quite that, but I, I do think he'll be pretty good. I I look at him as a little bit more than a game manager just because of the dynamic that he adds on the ground. Uh, when I think of a game manager, I think of a quarterback that really is just efficient, not throwing picks, but really not adding anything dynamic to an offense. And I think he does give you some dynamic qualities. Um, another school that I think makes a lot of sense to him, if I'm not mistaken, uh, his Alabama, the, the offensive coordinator that was there at Alabama with him when he was starting is now the head coach at Maryland, I believe. Yeah, um, that's right. Mike Loxley. And I would imagine that's probably high up on his list, a nice place to go, especially if the pressure in Alabama worn on him at all. Um, you're going to get similar pressure and unrealistic expectations in, in, you know, in Miami just because of the nature of the program and the tradition there. So if you just want to go to a place to show out, potentially get some tape on there uh, for the pro scouts to see, Maryland might be a good place to go, especially if the relationship between Mike and Jalen was strong, as you know it re- reportedly has been. Yeah, to me, that's probably the most likely landing spot um, just because of his relationship. Um, from an ACC standpoint, I really don't see any other schools. I mean, Syracuse maybe? I don't know who they had waiting in the wings behind Eric Dungy off the top of my head, but yeah, that could be a potential landing spot. So I think Miami or Syracuse is, is more likely than a Florida State who uh, is going to have DeAndre Francois back who isn't necessarily going to be the starter. He didn't like what the NFL uh, gave him for a draft grade. I don't think he's going to like what they tell him next year either. But uh, he's coming back to Tallahassee. So just something to watch here in the next uh, week or two, depending on how long he takes to make a decision. But I can confidently say I don't think he'll be back in Alabama next year. Yeah, I agree with all those takes. And, you mentioned DeAndre Francois and, and going back to Florida State and all of that. I was looking at some of the fan reaction on that, and um, boy, FSU fans were not happy he was coming back to school. No, why would you be? So um... <laughs> yeah, it's been tough. It's tough for that guy. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there with Blackman, and if he stays or goes now that DeAndre is coming back. But um, man. FSU football, they're going to have to really turn it around next year. Willie Taggart may be out. 
Oh, yeah. Like, we talked about this in an earlier podcast. The fact that they're bringing in an offensive coordinator, a pretty high-profile guy, and uh, Kendall Bryles, he, uh, he, to me, is very much on the hot seat. Yeah. Um, especially after the expectations he had um, his first year there, after spurning Oregon after a year. The microscope is on that guy. Even if it's not from a internal standpoint, it is from a national spotlight. Right. So it's Florida State. You got to win games and you got to win quick. You know, there's not much of a uh, grace period there. So no, yeah, there's no patience involved there. I do expect them to be better next year. Um, do I think they're going to compete with Clemson? Absolutely not. No I, way. Uh, I don't see that happening. No. They're they're years off from that and. Um, you know, it's strange to me, given how well they recruited, it's hard to imagine having holes in your program the size of the holes that the FSU uh, program finds itself in. I mean, the lack of offensive linemen in the program this year was stunning to me, given that you, I mean, Florida State recruits itself. How do you end up in a spot where, you know, you have guards moving out to tackles and, and centers playing tackle and, and, you know, having a left tackle that literally could not block a defensive end all year? It just blows my mind. So, We'll see if he's able to rectify that, and um, you know, I, I like Willie. I think Willie's a, a good guy, and you know, hopefully, he'll find some success, some success down there. But it's you know, it's looking a little iffy right now. Okay, so that is our show for today. Uh, we are going to keep coming to you twice a week, um, at least for a little bit. We've got uh, we're going to do some cool things with recruiting. Uh, talk about playoff expansion a little bit. We'll have a. Uh, you know, look at National Signing Day just to see where our ACC schools stand. And then on Sunday, your Monday show, we are going to jump into ACC basketball a little bit. So if you Ooh. haven't been following basketball, which if you're an ACC fan, I'm pretty sure you probably are. Yep. Um, it is turning out to be a very good um, basketball season so far. Got a couple of big games next week that we'll look at. One we're excited for. Uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia. I got to tell you, with uh, a combined one loss between those two teams, assuming UVA doesn't lose this weekend, I'm pretty sure at this point in the year that's probably never happened more on the Virginia Tech side than the Virginia side. No, I mean, that, that this is going to be the most hyped matchup in this rivalry, maybe in history, um, at least on the basketball side. And, you know, I feel confident in saying it is. So it'll be really cool to see how that plays out, given the contrasting styles of play and um, as always, it will be uh, intense. I can guarantee you that. So again, we're Chowder and Grits. Uh, listen, subscribe. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. Share this podcast. We are uh, trying to grow. We're brand new at this, so let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, which is probably your preferred method. Uh, we're also on Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can also visit chowderandgrits.com. Check out our website. Listen to the podcast online there. Uh, check out our forum. Our forum is up and active. We've got a few posts going on there uh, around ACC football, basketball, recruiting. We've got some SEC stuff on there. Uh, we're, we're talking everything. You know, we, uh, We're ACC focused, but we'd like to hit on some of the, uh, the other conferences close by and then college football as a whole. So, uh, Tim, with that, uh, feel better. You know, you gotta get your you gotta get your voice back for this weekend. <laughs> yeah, and, and hopefully I will. Um, you know, I'm on the doctor prescribed round of antibiotics, so given my vast medical knowledge, uh, I 
think that should help clear things up within a day or two. So uh, we'll cross our fingers and hope that on the next podcast I sound vibrant um, and, you know, get it rolling and, and get to talking some hoops, man. Yeah, so a lot of things still going on. Uh, like we said, National Signing Day coming up, uh, ACC tournament play, uh, March Madness. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, click, listen, subscribe to Chowder and Grits. Go ACC. We'll see you guys next week.